This is episode number 23 on the road to the show. I am Patrick Jones, and on this episode we have Kyle Hart. Kyle is a left-handed pitcher in the Boston Red Sox organization. I've known Kyle for many years now, playing with him. We were growing up in high school. Uh, it's pretty awesome to see everything that he's been able to accomplish on the baseball field, making it to the College World Series in Indiana and getting drafted in the 19th round by the Boston Red Sox. And just, you know, anytime you, you play with somebody who ends up, you know, becoming a professional, it's, it's really awesome to see, and especially someone who's, you know, such a great person like Kyle. Um, in this episode, he kind of talks a little bit about his journey, what he likes to do in the off season. He's a big time hunter, and he tells some pretty funny stories about uh, the Boston Red Sox this past year. There's a couple uh, stories that that he shared that were pretty uh, pretty funny. So I think you guys will enjoy. And um, without further ado, here's Kyle Hart. What's up, everyone? This is Patrick Jones. You're listening to The Road to the Show. Today we have on Kyle Hart, left-handed pitcher in the Boston Red Sox organization. Kyle, how's it been going, man? Dude, it's been going really well, honestly. Um, You know, it's kind of hitting me that the season's over. We've been out for a couple months here. And just trying to get back in the swing of things and working out, you know, balancing family time, um, you know, trying to get away a little bit, but also, you know, catching back up with with your loved ones and your friends that you haven't seen for a while. So it's been good, you know, um, had a good year, you know, uh, made the playoffs with, with two teams or one team. And then I got moved up and uh, we just missed the playoffs in high A by a couple games. But, you know, it's always, it's always fun to be in the hunt, um, especially in pro ball, just a little bit more on the line. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been going pretty good. Giving lessons up here at elite, uh, baseball Academy in Mason with you and just, uh, just kind of kicking it, man. And then you just got back from, uh, hunting, right? You have your own, your family has their own farm. Right. right. Yeah. If you know where, uh, the, the perfect North slopes are yeah. in, in Lawrenceburg. Yeah. They're probably 10 minutes from my farm. So it's just far enough where you kind of get away from everything and, um, just escape. I mean, everybody kind of has their own off season hobby. Mine typically are golf and hunting. Um, golf kind of slows down unless you can get down to Florida or Arizona, which I try to do. But um, usually when it cools off, hunting gets pretty good and and uh, just kind of a nice escape from from reality and the city life. You know, it's not it's not even always hunting, just camping or you know cooking out there, hanging out at the cabin. Um, we got some four wheelers and tractors and stuff. So. What's like what's I've never been hunting in my life. So like, what take me through? Do you have to like get up like early in the morning or like what's that like? Yeah, I mean you you're usually up before sunrise. I think today actually I went this morning. It was probably up at like five o'clock. The time change sucks. The time change kills you. Um, you know, it was okay when you got up at six thirty or seven, and then when they kicked, when it was light out, yeah, when they kicked the clocks back, and now you're getting up at four thirty or five. It's it's pretty rough, but you, you know, you just find yourself going to sleep earlier. And um, but yeah, I mean, I bow hunt a lot, and I hunt for meat too. Like I'm so n- nobody out there needs to think like I'm some <laughs> criminal like sport hunter. Like I hunt for meat. Like my family you know, tries to bag a few deer a year and stock the freezer, saves, saves a lot of money. And also the meat's like super healthy. Um, and when I start working out a lot, I like to eat meat that doesn't have a lot of fat on it, obviously. And that's deer meat kind of to a T. So, um, so you bow hunt when you, whenever you go hunting? Or yeah. Always bow hunt. Never shooting. Like, I guess. no, I've, 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 I've used a gun when I was younger and was, wasn't strong enough to pull a bow back, but yeah, 
mostly bow hunting now. I'll take a couple of my friends or like my brother gun hunting just because they don't get to do it a lot. And just like any other hobby, like bow hunting gets a little bit expensive. So that's why most people don't do it. You know? So you can't reuse the bow after you... No, you can. You can't reuse the arrows typically. They, they could get messed up. I mean, up. sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, you can. But the bow itself, they're pretty durable now, but they're really expensive. You're talking like... Twelve, fifteen, even eighteen hundred dollars, just to get like just to get a bow. Whoa! Um, and then you got you're talking all the accessories and trying to find land to hunt and stuff like that. So it, yeah, it can get a little pricey. That's why probably the every, everyday person isn't necessarily out bow hunting for leisure, you know. But, um, you know, like I said, I I do it. You know, we we do it to get the meat, and you know, it's not like it's not like we can, we can't buy food, but it does it does save a considerable amount of money on an annual basis so uh, take me through you get up early in the morning then you go out to like your farm do you do you ever go anywhere else or is it just your farm so yeah i have a couple other buddies and it's just like networking kind of like my buddy has some some land in kentucky and i'll be like hey i'll come down there and then you can come up here we'll kind of okay. just, like, exchange okay. exchange yeah, would, yeah. Be, yeah because it's it's fun to hunt other states and see other landscapes and stuff i also have another buddy i hunt with um in eastern ohio a little bit it's like ripley ohio franklin out yeah there. oh yeah i have a buddy out there um, so it's, yeah, it's fun, you know, and, and you kind of just get like a, just like I have a big golfing network with people I'll text to go golfing. It's just like that, you know, Hey, you want to come hunt on my farm and then I'll hunt on your farm and you kind of just swap time. It's really fun. Okay. So you get out there, you got your bow, right? You're ready to roll. So is it a situation where like, are you like, like trying to get like the deer on the run or are you waiting for it? Like when it's like stopped completely? Tip, yeah. Typically with a bow, you're in a tree. Oh, Which, so you're up in a tree. Yeah, it actually surprises most people. But yeah, you make little platforms. Like they sell platforms like metal, wood. You can we make a couple of our own and you put like little pegs or ladder steps up into a tree in like an area that you think is where the deer are going to be, right? Yeah. And then you sit there for a few hours. Um sometimes you see a lot, sometimes you see nothing. And yeah, but usually with a bow, you can't shoot them when they're running, so you're and the whole idea is to be concealed. So that you're up in a tree, they can't really see you. So they're calm. It's kind of the idea of it. And you know, it, it, you'd be like kind of like Robin Hood if you shot a deer when it was running with a, <laughs> with a, with a bow and arrow. You could do it with a gun, maybe. I'd still wouldn't recommend it. But um, yeah, the idea is to kind of get into their habitat where they don't know you're there. So you could be up there for hours and hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's just it depends. Like if I'm seeing a lot of activity. I could, you know, I'll sit for six, eight hours at a time, pack some food and stuff like that. But if it's like a slow day, I'm going to get down and go back to camp, like eat lunch, take a nap, read, read a book, you know, something yeah. like that. Like, um, but yeah, it just depends kind of on the day and part, time of the year. Usually October through November gets pretty good. And then kind of December is pretty slow. So, um, you know, so after you kill the deer, then you take it back. What? How, how do you end up getting like the meat? And so, yeah, I mean, some people take it to a butcher like there's people especially in the rural parts of of indiana kentucky ohio the midwest midwestern states that will butcher your deer for you um for a you know 100 bucks 80 bucks or whatever um, we actually do it ourselves it's not too hard it just takes a little more time um, but you can kind of ensure the cleanliness clean, cleanliness of the meat when you do it yourself and i'm not saying butchers are like dirty or anything they do a pretty good job usually but you know, we like to package our meat our, uh, ourselves, and, um, you know, you, you kind of just – you get organized in your own way. How many meals would that last? One deer oh, – man, one deer should get you oh, – man, I, I don't know how many meals. I, I would say that my family, me and my dad, usually get like four deer a year. 
You know, okay. we don't take more than we need, obviously. Um, four deer lasts us an entire year. Okay. So how many meals would do you think, like, throughout One the deer would provide? Oh, man, dozens. Really? Yeah. Do- yeah, I would say... Off the top of my head, yeah, between 15 and 25 meals, depending wow. on how many people you're feeding. For two people, me and my dad eating a good-sized dinner, yeah, I mean, one deer would provide you several months of food. Like, So this is a good way to like save money if you're struggling. Yeah, it is. But at the at the same time, on the front end, you're going to be paying a good amount of money just to get started in the sport. Right, just gotcha. Like, just like golf can get expensive. You can't just go out there and like like stab some deer. Like, <laughs> no, that's illegal. No, you might be in. You might be in jail. I don't actually know. That might be illegal. Yeah, you might be in jail after a while. So you and your dad like to do this together? Yeah, it's me and my dad and my dad's buddy, and then like occasionally um, I'll bring my friends out too. Okay, so your dad actually, I'm glad we brought him up a little bit because you played for him all throughout growing up, right? Right. Yeah. Well, 10 I mean, years. What was that like? Because I mean, a lot you see a lot of kids these days. You're giving lessons like you you understand like it's. It's tough to like play for your dad, right? And it's tough, I guess, probably from his perspective too, to like coach your own kid. Like, what was that like? Well, first of all, he's a great coach. I mean, you could you could go back and ask. You know, we have a bunch of mutual friends yeah. that played for him, and you could go back and ask them, and they'll all tell you that. You know, he was a great coach, soft spoken. Um, really, really wasn't like a big yeller, you know. But he he got his point across when he needed it. Um. And yeah, when I was younger, I played up a year, just like a lot of guys used to do. I don't know if that's still good. I'm sure it goes on a little bit now. Um, but I was just never as physically gifted as a lot of our guys. I mean, the Flames still are a good program, but we were really good yeah. back in the day. And I was kind of like lost in the kind of lost in in the lineup all the time. Like I just was never really like a standout player in youth baseball which I'm thankful for because I feel like I bloomed at the right time. Um, but there would be a lot of days where I wouldn't even play, and not because like my dad didn't want to play me, but it was just like I wasn't good enough. And I, I saw a lot of other coaches' kids just in the lineup no matter what. You see, if, I see that, I mean, everywhere. So, yeah, for like for guys that just aren't that good but their dad's the coach, it's like, oh, they're going to play shortstop and bat second every single day or bat yeah. third. And so, like, I was frustrated at the time, but then when you start talking about guys like Marcus Davis, Adam Engel, Jacob May, all in the lineup, the guys that are in the major leagues now, I've kind of looked back and I've been like, well, maybe I shouldn't have been. In the yeah. You know, maybe my yeah. dad was right. Um, but it kind of taught me to, like, appreciate playing time. Like, nothing is nothing is given. Like, you have to earn it. And I don't know if that's what my dad was trying to get across to me, but that's what I took from it. As I got older, too, I was like, I need to get better so I can start playing. Like, you remember, obviously, Andrew Hendricks, he was a yeah. stud. Like, I, you know, yeah, he was just, these guys were just flat better than me. So it's not like I really had a case to be like, hey, why am I not playing? You know, and it's, it's, you know, it's not like I didn't play. It's just I, I wasn't a premier player. Right. But eventually, I mean, you got into high school and then you ended up, you know, signing to go to Indiana. So eventually you did develop. It took time. Yeah. It took a lot of time. It really took time because I needed to grow. Like, I was always physically less mature, not just because I was a year behind, but just because, like, I was thin and tall and awkward, and I didn't really know how to use my body. And then finally in my middle to late high school years and even early into my college years, like, I started to grow into my body a little bit. Um, You know, that's when I got – I wouldn't say, like, great – 
but I was serviceable. Like I could get people out. Yeah. You know, I stopped hitting in high school really. Um, you know, not that I would suggest for people to do that, but like just for me personally, I just stopped hitting. Like it was just a dead end for me. Um, but yeah, um, you know, it, it was a really good experience playing for my dad. He, he taught us the game the right way. And then he also helped me throughout high school and college along with like a couple other good, you know, Josh spring who get, you know, works out here with some of the guys like those two really helped me out a lot. Yeah. Kind of just outlets that I could go to when I wasn't getting along with my pitching coach at school or yeah, we got to get, get spring on here too. Yeah. That guy knows a lot about pitching. He knows a lot about baseball, but he knows a lot about pitching and I, I, I will give him a lot of credit for just getting me right and helping me kind of find the path when I was steering off of it, you know, which happens to everybody all the time. How did you like Indiana, the school? I mean, that's a huge party school, right? It is a big party school. Yeah. You had to, you had to make smart decisions. And for anyone out there that is in college or playing college sports or thinking about playing college sports, the best advice that I could give you, and I don't know if I came up with this on my own or if I heard it somewhere, but it's like, there's three choices that you have every day. It doesn't matter if it's Monday Friday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. It doesn't matter. You have three choices you can make in college, and you could probably attest to this, if, especially if you're playing sports. You can focus on two of the three things that I'm going to say to you. Not all three, two of them. You have baseball or whatever your sport is. For me, it was baseball. You have the academic side, and you have the social side. You have three things, and you get to pick two of those. And I saw a lot of my teammates pick social life in baseball, I saw a lot of them pick, you know, basically my point is I saw all kinds of variations of those things. And for a time, I thought I could balance school, baseball, and social life. And I started to notice, like, well, my my, my grades fell off a little bit. I had a couple bad semesters. Um, I wasn't getting stronger in the weight room. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't pitching that well. And my social relationships were just average. And it wasn't it wasn't until later that I kind of learned like, you know, you got to spend ninety or ninety five percent of the time on what matters. And if it's for if for you, if it's academics and social life, social life, that's totally fine. Like, not not everyone's gonna play professional football or professional baseball or professional hockey. Like, some people settle in, love the business school, love their fraternity or sorority, and go from there. Like, I'm not saying that you have to pick sports and academics. I'm just saying like. That's what I learned is when I started to phase out like my social life and just kind of keep my circle tighter, keep my clique a little smaller and like, you know, go out a couple nights a, a month or like once a week or something. Just like when I knew I didn't have any tests or anything and we had an easy practice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. Just trying to balance that because I saw guys like think they could do all three and be Superman and it cost them. And were, were the, the best players that you've played with, were they specifically like just just the academic and athletic? Actually, to be honest with you, I saw I saw two things that worked the best. One, and I would recommend the first one, was one, the guys that focused on academics and baseball. Like, I'm not saying they were straight-edge kids. I'm just saying they were good kids that put school and in, in, in work because baseball was work first. You know what I mean? Yeah. But And those were usually guys that had harder majors, business, you know, finance, science. Yeah. Um, you know, something like that. And I'm not, like, ragging on the guys that have – you know, so like, um, fine. Uh, what, what is the easy sociology? Yeah. 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 General studies. Yeah. Liberal arts, whatever. Like those can be difficult too. And I've had a lot of friends that are successful that have done that, but the guys that had that 
those majors could really like just kind of like kick back, have a nice, easy social life, have a lot of friends, hang out with a lot of girls, and then play baseball because they're because their their majors just weren't as hard. They weren't putting in yeah. two or three hours of homework a night. Those are the two most successful players I saw. Usually, the high round picks. Those were guys like that knew they were going to be high round picks, knew they were going to be good, took an easy easy major, and just kind of did their thing. You know what I mean? And then you have the guys that like. I have a harder major. I was in environmental science, so I had to devote a lot more time to to school. And I mean, athletics. you guys played well. You guys ended up going to College World Series. So something. yeah, we were doing something right. Yeah, something right. How'd you uh, How'd you uh, like playing for uh, Tracy Smith over there? Tracy's a good coach. He really is. He's a good guy too. Um, he he was hard on us our freshman year in the beginning of our sophomore year because we had a younger team. And finally, when, when we kind of got steered in the right direction and started doing things the right way, he kind of let off the gas and let the Schwarbers and the Sam Travises and the Slagers, all guys that have been in the major leagues this year, just take over and kind of run the team. You know, like he yeah. didn't have to do it so much. Which is, I think that's a sign of a great coach is you get your team in a good spot and you let them, you know, run the ship. Right. Um, so that's what worked well for us. And then, you know, you got a couple of Bash brothers in the middle of the lineup that are hitting 30 doubles, 40 doubles, and 15 home runs. It was like, as a pitching staff, we had meetings, and we'd be like, dude, just don't give up eight runs today, and we're going to win. That, did, were you surprised at all that Schorber was that good? Because, I mean, you played with him when you were younger. I, yeah, I played with him a long time, and no, not really. Actually, I was surprised that he didn't get drafted higher out of or drafted at all out of high school. I was like, this guy is a sleeping giant, you know? Yeah. And kind of the disrespect that was shown to him – his whole career until finally they were like, okay, this guy's really good. It was like, I was, I was astonished by it. And I think it kind of fueled him a little bit just to kind of just prove that that chip on his shoulder was there for a reason. Um, but yeah, the college world series was sick. I mean, it was unlike anything I'll probably ever do in my life again. And I didn't even get the pitch in it, which was kind of ridiculous. But, (laughs) um, considering like the year that I had, I, you didn't get a pitch at all? Not in the World Series, no, because um, we had – you really only need three starters in the World Series, and I was the fourth starter for some reason. I'll, I'll, I'll ask Tracy in about 20 years why he did that. But, like, it was just – it was like who was hot, and our midweek guy was on fire Yeah. in his last couple starts, and I was just doing okay. So he went with our midweek guy for the third star of the World Series. And I was the next start if we'd have won the game. Okay. Um, but, like, it, it, I had pitched so well that year in the weekend rotation. I think I started, like, 8-0. But, like I said, that's because our offense put up 10 runs a game. So, like, you were right. just racking up wins. Right. Um, so, you know, it was one of those things where I felt like I deserved it. But at the same time, just, like, we were such a well-put-together team that it's, it would have just been selfish of me to, to whine about that. Like, I was totally fine just – doing whatever was best for the team and i warmed up a couple of times actually which was even just warming up was awesome but you were a sophomore then right sophomore yeah so then your next year were you expecting to get drafted uh yeah i, I was really expecting to get drafted um you know obviously i was in the shadow of schwarber sam travis who's with the Sox, with with with, with uh the same Cubs. organization yeah, as me, yeah. and, then, and and then uh, Schwarber with the Cubs. So you, everyone else was kind of living in the shadow of them. Yeah. But at the same time, you had all these scouts coming to see them. So you're like, man, if I show out for a few games, like I might get on somebody's radar. And you know, like I'll, I'll brag for a second. 
I had had gave up like three runs in March, I think. Wow. And I, I faced you guys, like Michigan, um, a couple other teams. Like my March of my junior year was ridiculous. I was on fire. And we had played – I don't know if you were still there when we shoveled snow off of – I do remember that. Bark off the field. I specifically remember that. For two days we shoveled snow and we played the game – our closer tore his ACL. Dude, you know, you know who I, I was one who hit that ball. He tore his ACL. Are you serious? I swear to God. Oh my God. I I could I I felt so bad. I got a hit off. I mean, I felt yeah. so bad. He made a sick play too. Yeah, he made a he made a sick play, and then I mean, he's he got drafted. I mean, he's really yeah. Good. He's doing he's in Double A right now. Yeah. Ryan Hall said, um, he's he's one of the best dudes ever. But he got hurt that game. I ended up throwing like seven innings, like ninety five pitches. I, my elbow got really sore after that game, and I was like, "Man, it had to have been the cold." Yeah, it was like 40. yeah, it was all oh, crazy. And then the next weekend, I tore my UCL. So it was like, man, I wish we just not we would have just canceled the game, you know? Yeah. But you you, you don't know that at the time. So I go I go to Ohio State, tore my UCL, and had Tommy John was out for eleven and a half, twelve months, and I really thought like. That was the year that I, I felt like I could have been like a top ten round guy. You yeah. know, got a little bit of money, nothing to nothing to boast about, but a little bit of money, and um, just didn't work out for me. But you know, that's life. So. Yeah, and then you ended up getting drafted in your as a fifth year, right? Right. Yeah. So I went back through like forty innings at the end of my redshirt junior year. Threw really well. Thought that I still might get picked up, but they said my velo wasn't there, my velocity. I was like, whatever with you guys. Like yeah. get out of my face. So then I just decided to come back get my degree. And you know, try to try to try to make another playoff push. And we didn't have as good of a team, but it was still really fun. Still, we our pitching staff had a lot of success and stayed healthy. It was a 19th round pick, and just now I'm grinding my face off with everybody else. How how uh, how do you like the professional baseball lifestyle? It's different in a lot of ways, and it's same in in a lot of ways. I think the biggest thing is. Um, you know, everybody's just kind of out for themselves a little more. Yeah, it's not that team type of environment. Yeah, which is something you got to get used to, especially being a fifth-year college guy. It was like everyone was preaching team, team, team. Yeah. You know, do this for the team, sacrifice for the team. And now, like, you got your agents and your coaches telling you, like, do you. Yeah. Do whatever you got to do to just get to the next level. And that's kind of crazy. You know, that's kind of crazy to hear where you, you're in a locker room and, like, everybody likes each other or cares about each other. The only body, only person that's going to call you after a bad game is your parents. only body that's going to say keep your head up is your parents, maybe your agent or your brother or your girlfriend. Um, so you kind of have to just, like, block everything out and try to just focus on yourself. Um, it's and just you're like, not getting paid anything. I mean, yeah, right. Like, what is it, like 1200 a month? Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you you know – it's nice to be one of those hot, big, you know, big round money guys, and you can kind of sit on your little fortune that you get paid. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not, it's not. You hear the horror stories; it's not as bad as, you know. I mean, you 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 can you can live fine. It's not like you're not eating or you're, right. you're sleeping on the streets. Like you know, it's definitely unfair. And I'm sure in the next ten, twenty, thirty years, by the time I'm out of baseball, it'll get restructured. Hopefully, yeah. You know, they'll trim off a percent or two of the major league money, and, you know, these guys will be getting paid three or four grand a month to the point where you can start saving money. That's all I'm asking for is, like, that's all we're asking for is just give us enough where we can save a little bit of money. Like, right. Because right now you spend everything you get on rent, um, clubhouse dues, food, 
So they don't. What do they help with besides giving you your paycheck? I mean, you get you get a little bit of meal money when you go on the road. Was it like what is it, like twenty bucks a day? I think it's twenty twenty five a day or something. A day. And you, most of that goes to the road clubhouse guy, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, like some some people, it makes some people more mad than than others. But it, like I said, if I've been doing it for like eight or ten years on that pay, I don't know if I would be able to keep playing because financially yeah it's not it's not like it's not like you don't love the game enough it's just you can't really start a i can never start a family right now or you know some guys are married which blows my mind you know like hats off to you yeah but unless i was like a top three rounder i I don't think i could get married because you couldn't support no i mean unless she's got a crazy job or something like that so and God bless the guys that have families, you know, children and stuff. It's awesome because they bring them to the park all yeah. the time, and you know, but it's tough, man. It's really tough. And like I said, it's going to get restructured. It, it, we'll kind of we'll kind of fight the system until it does. I'm sure. When I when I got out, I realized kind of how high that mountain is. You have to climb. And you don't really realize that in college. Um, do you do you feel the same way now that you're in professional baseball, where it's like, man, there's a lot more that goes on. Than just just pitching pitching well five or six innings a game right yeah I mean it's crazy how many levels there are like I have people asking me like oh you in double A you in triple A I'm like dude do you know how high that level is? yeah like how good those guys are like yeah what are you the CFO of your company already <laughs> like no I'm not in triple A like you know I, I have to tell people there's rookie ball there there's extended spring training and rookie ball there's Short season, which is for all the new draft picks usually, and then you have low A, high A, double A, triple A, major leagues. There's like six levels. It's just like any other job. That's the best way to explain it. Like you got to climb the ladder just in baseball or even football or basketball. You're trying to climb it a little faster because, you know, they're bringing in waves and waves of new talent, and you can get phased out really quick. Um, Sometimes you can get phased out, and it's not even your choice. Like I saw a couple guys that were good, like free agent signs or indie ball signs. That hit like two seventy was like fifteen doubles and like twenty bags and and they would just like they got canned they got released because like they signed some guy for like two hundred fifty three hundred thousand or they signed a seventeen year old from um, Cuba for like three million and they want to get their they want to get their investment back you know they got to start moving these guys along so money money in politics just like any other job is really in play um, you can't do anything about it you just play your best. Try to be the best teammate and just hope you get an opportunity. So that was your first full season this past year. Yeah. Uh, do you you hear a lot of horror like minor league stories, like some funny ones, of course. Um, did you experience any of those? I mean, a couple of them. Um, some of them probably not appropriate enough to be put on <laughs> the internet. Um, I actually heard of one from a couple years ago. Don't know if it's true, but I heard it from a pretty – pretty um, well-known validated source that uh, a couple of the players that are from um, um, the Latin American countries that I have some really good friends from the Latin American countries that I've come to come to know they teach me Spanish I teach them English you know we go out to eat play play video games they're just like us you know yeah yeah, and and I kind of stay in contact with them but um, when they get here for spring training a lot of them like have forgotten some of the customs and stuff like that and usually their English has gone to crap, just like my Spanish goes to crap in the off season. Um, but I heard a story of some of uh, some of the Latin American guys going to going to PetSmart and uh, buying a rabbit, and they thought that it was like socially acceptable to 
to kill and eat it. <laughs> and I don't know if that's true. I don't even know if that's from the, I don't even know what organization I, I heard that from, but like, I just thought that was so funny, you know? Um, I think they might've gotten a little bit, a little bit of trouble. I'm sure, I'm sure they did actually, but that's one of the funniest stories I've heard. But you usually, you know, usually these guys are awesome. They're awesome to play with too, man. Some of these guys are slick. Oh yeah, it is crazy. Oh, they they just breathe and... breathe baseball down there. Yeah, I got a similar actually. Now that you brought that up, I remembered one. I was playing indie ball this last year, and there used to be the affiliated uh, for the Rangers used to play there. So I was talking with my host mom, and she, uh, you know, obviously all the host parents are friends, and you know, yeah, that, so. Ended up one of the guys that they signed, like straight off the boat from like Cuba or Latin America or something like that. They signed, um, moved in with the with the family, and um, he has he's you know you know a lot of guys you know they dip and chew and everything yeah. like that. So he's just sitting on the edge of his bed, just chewing, just spitting right on the floor. Oh no! Like right on the carpet. Just had no idea that oh, was like no, yeah. <laughs> so that was like just like stories like that were. I mean, you you can get mad, but you can't like that's yeah. just they're not trying to. Yeah, it's just it's just cu- it's just customary, you know, differences that that they have to get used to. And then I mean, I took a trip to the Dominican Republic, which was an amazing trip. I mean, I think my passion for baseball was reignited a little bit when you saw those guys hitting with tree branches and you know catching taped socks with with egg cartons for gloves and stuff like that. So that's like, crazy. Yeah, and I mean, we would sleep in until like eight o'clock, eat breakfast to go work out and play some games down there. And like these kids would have fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds would have already had a beach workout in the sand at like six a.m. And I'm like complaining about getting up at eight. Whoa, you know, it just kind of opens your eyes to what baseball means. I mean, it's it's like literally life. It's like that's how you make it out. Yeah. So yeah, I I have a lot of respect for those guys too. Um, you know. So that's crazy. Um, couple last things here, Kyle. What what piece of advice would you give to like high school pitchers? And the reason I, I kind of bring this up is because like you like specifically are not one of those guys who like is more is a thrower per yeah. se. You're more of a pitcher, so you know how to get like guys out right. versus like someone who can throw 100 miles an hour and just you know. I mean, when you get to the major leagues, that necessarily might not work, but you can fly through the system like that. Yeah. So, I just have a couple things. I mean, obviously, I could probably rattle off like a hundred things that I yeah. would have done differently, or I should have done better, or that I think I did well. The first thing, and I'm sure everyone's heard this from their parents and their coaches, whatever. Just, just do well in school. Like that's just, it's so easy. High school, especially high school, is so easy. Like looking back, <laughs> it's a joke. You know, you got ten math problems, and you got to write a three page paper, and yeah, like this stuff is so easy. Just do it and show up on time. Like. If you can start showing up on time to, you know, different things that you have, whether it be meetings, you know, like off-season meetings, you have just class in general, like just just do that. Like because that's going to translate so well. And what I would tell players is as I got older and I got a better relationship with my college coach, like it really matters who does the little things well. Who's on time to the weight room? Who's getting A's and B's and, okay, C pluses are fine. But, like, who's getting good grades? You know, who's treating their teachers, their coaches, their trainers, their weight room guys with respect? Because if you have two second basemen, one of them's a good hitter but really can't play defense, one of them can play defense, can't really hit, they kind of cancel each other out, right? The coach is always going to go with 
the better character guy, who's showing up, who's doing things right. Like, don't think that doesn't matter who hustles on the field. Like, I'm sure people have heard this a thousand times, but firsthand, it matters. And also, when you get into pro ball or you get into a real-life job and you've done these little things right for six or eight or ten years of your whole life, hopefully, it just translates. You're going to move faster. People are going to like you more. You end up getting paid more. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, just that's so sure. easy. It's so easy to do. You I'm not asking you to solve math problems or throw 100 miles an hour, just like little things that you can control. Pitching-wise, two main pieces of advice I would give for pitchers that aren't throwing 98, even guys that aren't throwing that hard. Like, they still need to do these things. You need to throw a lot of strikes, a lot of strikes. You cannot consistently get hitters out if you're not consistently in the strike zone. Just just get used to it now. Just throw a lot of strikes. I don't care if you are striking people out, you're getting pop-ups, you're getting ground outs. Like Just throw strikes. Don't walk people. Because it's the guys that can throw hard that usually their walks are up, and then all it takes is a two-run double or a three-run jack, and then your ERA is spiked. And it takes you another 10 games of scoreless outings to get your ERA back down. And the last thing, and this is probably the most crucial thing for pitchers, I don't care how old you are, if you want to play at the next level, whatever that next level is, is get a secondary pitch that you can throw for strikes at any time. The best pitchers in professional baseball, also at the major leagues, doesn't matter if they have three, four, five, doesn't matter if you're Tanaka and you have eight pitches. Like You have to have one that's not a fastball, that you can throw any time for a strike. Whether it's change-up, curveball, splitter, more power to you if you can throw a splitter yeah. whatever you want for a strike. <laughs> but just like, that just, you, you're going to get so many 1-0, 2-0, 1 outs because you have hitters geared up for a fastball and you flip something in there with a little bit of spin, six, eight mile an hour off, you're going to escape so much hell with a, with a secondary pitch you can throw for a strike. So that's that's what I got. Well, and, and uh, I'm glad you kind of brought that up a little bit where, you know, strikes, 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 because, and you've seen this, I'm sure, is we're in, a, in an era right now where it seems like, you know, driveline's huge. Like, right. all guys care about is, like, radar, radar numbers. And you see on social media where, like, a lot of these uh, people are saying, hey, if you want to get recruited, you got to throw really hard. So kids aren't really learning how to pitch. They're just trying yeah. to throw as hard as possible. Yeah. You know, that's true. That's true to an extent. Like, obviously, the guys lighting up the radar gun are going to pop eyes first because all these college coaches think, oh, he's throwing 92, 93. I can teach him how to pitch. Well, most of them can't. Most yeah. of them don't. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. just, that's just firsthand knowledge. Nobody teaches them. But I will say, some of these driveline velocity programs, like, along the way, you have these instructors that are actually instilling, like, good pitching ideas and, you know, the correct mental philosophies to go along with it. If you're just teaching them how to throw hard and how to make their arm go fast, you're wasting their time because there's no sense of doing that if you're not helping them learn how to pitch too. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, I would say that, um, you know, it's just a law of averages real quick. Like, if you're throwing strikes, doesn't matter if you're throwing 80 or 90 or 95, like, the game says that, Three out of ten for a hitter is good. So if you throw strikes, like you know, you're gonna they're gonna result in outs more times than not. And then and then you just start fine tuning your strikes and you start throwing quality strikes and then you end up with guys hitting two twenty, two forty off you and you start you start balancing that law of averages in your favor a little bit more. What's your prediction on um on yourself getting to the big leagues? How long do you think that would take? Dude, honestly, 
with a degree from IU, like I've always told myself that I'm going to give myself a little bit of a time limit, a time frame to try to get up there because I don't want to be 32 with no money in the bank and right. not in the big leagues. So I would say like realistically I could be up there by the time I'm 27, mm-hmm. you know, try to get five or eight good years out out, out of there. Um, just all depends on your opportunity, if, if you get traded, what organization you're with, the organizational needs. For me, like I got to stay healthy. I got to prove that I can throw 180, 200 innings a year. Yeah, and a lot of those are strikes. Walks are down, strikes are up. I could have a four ERA, but if I throw 200 innings with very few walks, like I'm going to have value. Yeah, um, like like uh, who's coming on next week? Brent Suter. Right. Yeah. Oh man, he's he's a perfect example. Of perfect that. example. Yeah. Exactly the same. Throws a ton of strikes. Um, fools guys. Has deception. You know, kind of throws one of those heavy balls. I think yep. we were talking about where it might say 87, 88, but the the catcher will be like that. Felt like it was ninety three. And that's why it took him so long to get to the big leagues because he had to hit every level and then like dominate every yeah. level. Yeah. And still sometimes that doesn't even work out. Yeah. So I mean, my goal, my goal obviously is next year be in the big leagues try to get four or five spot starts but like it's so out of your control in a way like i saw one kid that had like a 1.1 era in double a this year and just stayed in double a the whole year and he was a left-handed reliever throwing like 90 92 and you just have to keep proving to them that it's not a fluke that that year wasn't a fluke that you can do that in double a or triple a again you know and then you just give them no choice but to say all right this guy's just dominating like we have to move him up yeah, that's one of my one of my good buddies always says. His name is Sam Travis. Played in Indiana with me. Played a lot of big league games this year. Going to be the future uh, first, baseman first baseman for the Red yeah. Sox. He says, "Dude, you just have to play your butt off. Just play as well as you can, and just make them move you up. Make them look stupid for having a guy in Double A with a one ERA for fifty games. Like make them feel like they have no choice but to move you up. And that's all. You, that's all you can do." Love that advice, uh, hands down. That's so true. Uh, thanks again for stopping by and dropping some uh, some good knowledge. Um, appreciate it. Uh, make sure to uh, check out Kyle and follow him this year with the Red Sox. Where are you going to start at? Probably high A. Oh, dude, I would love to start in Double A, but it's all it's all about you know your spring training. Your performance in spring training has a lot to do with it, and just like where they need pitchers and everything. So gotcha. uh, probably high A. Shooting for double A. Okay. Um, but that's that. And then the big leagues by the end of the year. Yeah, right? That'd be uh, sick. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you stopping by. Hey, appreciate you.